Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello and welcome to the Football Fanalytics podcast in association with 23. This is the show that combines our love of football and very average Sunday league playing experiences with our knowledge of football statistics and data analytics. This is episode 24 and this week we're talking about expected points. But first, my name is Ryan Bailey and as ever I'm joined by my good friend Mark Carey. Mark, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you, mate. Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of as good as uh, as anyone can be in these current times. Um, I found myself this week properly missing playing football for the first time. Um, I'm obviously enjoying, as uh, as everyone is, the amount of football we can watch at the moment. The relentless fixture list, uh, slash being a little bit sort of exhausted by it. Um, but yeah, I've, I've really missed being out and kicking a ball for the first time this week, probably. I know what you mean. I've been kind of housebound for, for a number of days in just terms of not getting out enough and doing enough exercise walking never mind running and I went on a run at the weekend having not done that in a while and I was thinking that exact same thought on the run thinking mm. if I can't even jog then I haven't played football in so long how do I expect to actually do well if I start to kick a ball around you're not gonna be match sharp <laughs> not match fit yeah no. but I need to get some form of fitness up anyway to hopefully start playing football soonish but who knows when that will be? It's going to be quite bad, isn't it, when we start again? I think we might realise how bad we were. And then, uh, yeah, it's going to be quite shocking how bad it's got, I think. <laughs> well, our very average Sunday League playing very experiences might come Sunday into League play. playing experiences. Yeah. More and more average as every week goes by. I've actually, the only playing action that I've had, I've been doing kick-ups in the garden again. Uh, yeah i've never spoken about that before um but my family are very big in the local sports club and uh the football club had a challenge to do one million kick-ups in january 
as in across the whole club, you know, across all the uh, several teams that they have. But anyway, I think they've uh, achieved that now, which is obviously uh, a good achievement. Congratulations to Sporting Club Inc. Borough. Congratulations. But anyway, I had to video myself doing a few to, to send in. And um, when I look back at myself doing some in the garden, I realised that I was really upright. And then, <laughs> you know, you sort of think of yourself doing kick-ups. You think like you're in skill school or like you look like one of the F2 freestylers. Oh, I, I looked awful. I was doing like a weird sort of inadvertent thumbs up. <laughs> and um, yeah, my legs were sort of just not as composed as I thought they were. But yeah, got a strange gait. Yeah, so it just is. looks really like stiff and uh, <laughs> not very balanced, really. I, I know what you mean. I've, I've kind of done the same recently where I had to do a kick up challenge during lockdown and stuff. And my, I can't describe it, obviously, on a podcast, but <laughs> I, I really stretch out my fingers uh, I, I don't know it looks really weird but it's almost for me it's my way of balancing yeah. myself but I sort of spread them out loads and uh, yeah it's quite weird to watch back but if, if it does if it has the desired effects and you score a goal or you do a million kick-ups then happy days well yeah I mean I didn't do a million <laughs> if only um I think I did about 15,000 maybe over the it's month decent. but uh but yeah no it got me thinking you always see don't you you know when clubs post uh, pictures of the players in training. Um, they'll always sort of get these glorious shots where they catch the mid strike and it just looks so perfect and well positioned and uh, poised. Anyway, I saw this bonkers one the other day. It was from Man United who posted some training pictures and it was Alex Telles and he was clearly sort of uh, open play, just stuck in a cross uh, with his left foot. But the position that he created was really odd he with his right standing foot it's hard to explain on the podcast with his right standing foot was was planted and then his right leg almost came off at like 45 degrees uh the other way and then his upper body was almost lent back the other way it was it was mad the sort of shape that he created and and sort of how out of balance he looked he was just lent over so far i don't know how he like didn't fall over like defied physics a little bit yeah he was sort of in this weird banana shape yeah, i was going to say well they, they must bend their body in a certain way to obviously put certain whip on the ball or whatever it may be um obviously when you're talking about united i mean no better person to to refer to than david beckham like the way that his oh, body, if, you, if you have a still i mean he's got an iconic stance hasn't he when he takes the free kicks but he was at a, a really strong angle and the only other example i could think of of that at the moment would be james ward prowse has a similar stance when mm. he takes free kicks to really bend his body in yeah. a really specific way or you know to take a corner um has a really specific way of and a technique to to strike the ball and that whatever works really isn't it i suppose you have to put your body in a certain way to be able to get a certain whip on the ball or yeah, shape yeah. on the ball clearly it, it works alex tellers is a good uh deliverer of crosses absolutely did you ever uh, used to practice the um, uh, the Beckham free kick technique? <laughs> I bet you did. Kind of. Well, kind of, but not to very not to any <laughs> success. Not at all. I got for my fourteenth birthday. I think it was. You might remember these. I had these yellow wall men to go in the garden. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, we used to spend ages trying to whip it round the uh, the wall men and try and hit the top corner. <laughs> um, <laughs> to, to how much success? Oh, to very little success. But, uh, but not through lack of trying. So, um, you know, maybe one day when we can get back to playing football, we'll finally perfect that Beckham technique. It's never too late. <laughs> said it before, you passed your peak now. Age-wise, we said it in previous episodes. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I jest. <laughs> How dare you? I know, sorry. No, I am only joking. But I did used to try different techniques and stuff. And you, you're taught all these things when you're a kid of certain techniques that you need to do. Like, 
you know, get your knee over the ball when it's when it's in the air yeah, a yeah. little bit so that you can, you know, strike it down. And obviously don't lean back when you're striking it, otherwise it's just gonna go high into the sky. Yeah. Um and I remember when I was about seventeen, eighteen, I helped to to coach one of the the local teams. They were like under twelves. Yeah. Um and I, I basically taught them this or this principle that, you know, you need to lean over the ball when you're striking it because otherwise it'll go up. And uh and I did an example. I sort of did two examples. I said, if you lean back, then the ball goes up in the air like this. So I leaned back, and it went really high into the air. And then I was, and then you know, when you would want to do it properly, you lean forward. And then as I was doing it, I was thinking, oh, I've got to get it right here because <laughs> there was a whole team behind me to do it. And I leant forward, and it, it kind of went wrong in that, like, it was supposed to just drill straight across the floor, and it didn't. It lifted a little bit, but it did go in the top corner. <laughs> But completely by accident, I basically did my technique wrong. But I turned around and I was like, you know, so something like that. <laughs> trying, to, trying to pretend like I just started it out. It went in the top corner. And since then, everyone was like, oh, he's good. Mark's good. <laughs> Coach Mark is so good at technique. Coach Mark, yeah. But I completely messed the thing up and just had to, you know. Just start it out. Like, yeah, yeah. So that's how you do it. You put it into the top something corner. Something like simple that. As. So, yeah, I've been uh, practicing my technique and passing on those messages to the to the youth of today. Well, I'll, uh, I'll remember those... Uh pearls of wisdom from coach mark when i start playing uh, five-a-side football again whenever that will be um i'll just uh, lean over the ball and smash it top bins that's all you do mate it's simple as um anyway right let's crack on with the rest of the episode let's crack on right then mark enlighten me what are we talking about this week? Well, I guess it's working back, really, because we haven't spoken about the uh, the obvious that since we last recorded, um, Lamps is gone. He has, and uh, at the time of recording last episode, uh, we said he, you know, he may well lose his job, and then was sacked by the time we released. So, you know, by the time we get this one out, maybe Tuchel will have lost his job. Yeah, because you know, true. let's be honest, they don't have a very long sell by date, do they? Uh, as a Chelsea manager, true. I heard that the average since. Abramovich has, has come in the average tenure of a manager is actually less than 18 months and Tuchel's, wow. Tuchel's contract is 18 months which you think oh that's a bit bit of a short one but apparently yeah. if he actually sees out his 18 months he'll actually have been up there as one of the longest serving managers at Chelsea in the past decade that's bonkers yeah but uh yeah sorry to to see Frank Lampard go from Chelsea but um yeah what, what do you think do you think it was deserved I don't know mate um, the honest answer is, I think it's a little bit uh, borderline ridiculous, the sort of uh, lack of time and uh, the lack of patience that managers sort of receive at the moment for the job that they do. Um, it's been like that for a while, hasn't it? But yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, they, Chelsea have been pretty bad for for a little while, haven't they? And you sort of question, I guess, whether he had a plan to maybe turn it round at all I'm I'm not sure but um, especially the wealth of sort of talent that they have at their disposal it's obviously there's quite a compelling argument that it needed to be doing a lot better than they were mm. uh, so yeah it's a difficult one yeah. we spoke in the manager bounce episode didn't we a while ago that you know it's not always the best thing to do to sack them but I guess now we you know we won't know really will we no and I think there's this there's multiple things that we could say. I mean, yeah, he did. He wasn't doing well with the team he had. I think the team itself or the squad itself is full of quality, but he yeah. wasn't maybe maximising that quality on the pitch. Is it because he's still learning on the job? This is his second job ever. So I think it's a bit harsh to expect him to, to move mountains. But yeah, I think it wasn't just maybe how they're performing on the pitch. From what I've read, then it was disagreements with the board and with the other powers that be. 
um, that might have kind of led to him being given the sack as well. So it might not have just been, um, you know, what's out, out there on the pitch, but it's a shame. Um, but it kind of brings me on to what is just an interesting thing which we could actually look at in terms of Chelsea and a lot of the teams in the Premier League of looking at their underlying numbers, Ryan. Which Oh, we do love underlying numbers. I know you are certainly a fan of. I, too, uh, love the underlying <laughs> numbers. Um, <laughs> now, we could essentially, we could look at, talking about on-pitch only, um, look at the performance of a team in terms of expected points. So looking at where they are in the league um, based on their expected points rather than their actual standing in the league table interesting okay now i haven't explained what expected points are um but this is something which we can go into and then maybe do a bit of a working example and see um where where some teams are on the table versus where they maybe should be based on um yeah what you'd expect based on how the game's actually played out fantastic so expected points essentially measures the number of points that a team could and should have expected to have taken from a game based on the expected goals that they created and conceded in that game. Now, we've spoken about expected goals a lot. For anyone who is now not aware of it, I'm sure all the listeners are, um, they can, of course, go to episode one of our podcast for a full explanation. Can't Excellent plug. Excellent plug. Excellent plug for another... We've done, <laughs> actually, a lot in this episode, we've already plugged about three other episodes. That I know. Recorded. Other episodes are available. Yeah, there you go. I'm getting good at this game. Um <laughs> So it's it's expected points is kind of an extension of expected goals, whereby you actually look a bit more into the quality of chances um, that a team should have put away or put, should have conceded, and then kind of working from there. So essentially, the more dominant a team are, based on yeah. how many quality chances they've uh, created, so expected mm-hmm. goals, and what the quality of chances were that they conceded as well. So it looks at yeah expected goal difference overall. Yeah, yeah rather than just how many they've they've scored or um or conceded. So the more dominant uh, the team are, the more expected points they'll they'll be expected to get. Um so okay. it also credits a team who might have lost as well. So obviously in in real terms you've got you know, 3 points for a win, 1 point each for a draw and no points for a loss, obviously. But yeah. it, it allows expected points allows you to still give credit to someone who might have lost but still created a lot of chances and may have just you know, they might have actually battered the team. They might have, yeah. for example, let's let's do a working example. Um, so Burnley recently won yes. 3-2 against Aston Villa. Burnley scored three goals. Yep. Okay, but their expected goals was actually about 0.72. So they really outperformed the chances mm. that they uh, that they got. Aston Villa were expected to score 2.71 and they scored yep. two. So they actually probably underperformed, if anything. So based on the expected goals there, uh, overall, you'd say that Aston Villa, okay, they lost. They got zero points out of it, but they do deserve some credit out of that because they created a lot. And if they'd have, if that had played out again or you know a number of times, you'd have thought that based on what happened, Villa would and probably should have come away with the win. So you can still give credit to Aston Villa, even though in reality they got zero points. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because you can look at those underlying numbers of that's the sort of classic manager phrase. You know, we carry on playing like that and. You know, we'll pick up more points. Kind of links with that in terms of those expected points. Um, So yeah, essentially expected points is just adding that up for each game, giving credit to each of the each of the teams after each game, whether they actually won, drew, or lost based on those underlying quality of chances that they had 
um, and conceded. Uh, and then obviously putting that into a, a normal league table and seeing who comes out on top. And you can obviously then look over a longer period um, who might have been a bit unlucky, who might have been a bit lucky. Yeah, I was going to say, it sort of sounds like it takes away that human element of it almost, doesn't it? Or that human error maybe, you know, things hitting the post or uh, bits of unlucky play. I guess it kind of gets rid of those elements. Yeah, and we've seen that over a number of years where there's the dominant team who absolutely batters the let's say, the relegation candidates, absolutely batters them for 80 yeah. minutes. I mean, it happened with Liverpool and Burnley recently, really, that, you know, Liverpool were, were dominant in the throughout the whole game, then basically got sucker yeah. punched, got a penalty. Burnley come away with a 1-0 win. Now, you would, if you were being in real simple terms, you'd say, OK, well, Burnley won. They deserve to win. But then looking just a little bit more deeply, obviously expected goals, scored and conceded, and then adding that into the expected points, you'd say that, well, Burnley probably deserved very few points from that. Liverpool probably uh, deserved a lot more. In terms of how they actually played, it's almost like, yeah, the the on-paper result is is different to what the actual result was. Exactly. And, you know, many people will argue, and I understand that, that there's only one statistic that matters, and that's the final yeah, score. Yeah. And I do get that. But just telling a wider story... Um, this can allow you to to do that and then also help within the context of a football club to say that, okay, well, this is our league position, but then we should be probably a little bit higher. And this is where it links with the Chelsea point, where is their league position actually representative of where they should be? Was was Frank Lampard unlucky in the, in the few games um, or should he have maybe been higher up? Who knows? Um, but well, we can we can find that out and use expected points to to find that out. So it's a really good uh, method in that regard. It's also a good method if you before you're going into a game, if you were to use it within a football club to say, I mean Sheffield United are an example of that as well. And I think Pep Guardiola said as much that where they are in the league table, struggling and got the fewest points for wasn't it they're, they're statistically the worst Premier League club in history. I think they definitely were at least up to the point where they uh, they beat Man United 2-1, which uh, classic Man United unpredictability um, sort of flopped. But yeah, I, I think they were, they at least had the worst start um, in Premier League history, I think. Oh yeah, on paper and the you know people say that the league does sometimes lie. And this is where expected points helps with that. Where I think I remember Mourinho saying that as well, actually, which I guess is a bit of a running theme that they're they're not necessarily a really bad team and you know their sort of league position doesn't reflect that exactly and this is where it you know it helps with that so it going into a, a game that you know it could almost be something a manager might say to his players he might say like listen they are bottom of the league but if you actually look at where they should be you know you don't have to mention the words expected points but where they should be in the league should be about 15th so let's not Let's not underestimate as, them almost. You let's know, not underestimate them. Let's not just them. see them as there for the taking and uh, sort of give them more credit than maybe their league position is doing. Exactly. And then it stops that complacency in the game and, you know, it helps in that regard. So it, it's a really useful tool. Um, and yeah, driven driven by, you know, underlying numbers and driven more objectively rather than just seeing where, where people stand in the league. And we're talking as well, in this case, over half a season's worth of 
data and half a season's yeah. worth of performances. And we've spoken multiple times, and it's a big thing within analytics, as we've spoken about small yeah. sample sizes. If you look at it across a longer period, a full season, then it's then it's more useful. But it's still a really good good way to represent just how well a team is doing versus how well they kind of should be doing. Sounds really good. I guess my question, as always, is uh, how do they work it out? And sort of how does that number, that expected points figure, uh, come to be? Yeah, so I won't bore you too much with the numbers, but it's a similar, it's a similar process to kind of how expected goals is is calculated as well in terms of it being based on a mathematical model. Um, and okay. what they do here is kind of do a simulation of with those those expected goals scored and expected goals conceded, they essentially simulate that what actually happened in terms of those chances, simulate it 10,000 times. As in playing it 10,000 times on Football Manager. Exactly that, <laughs> yeah. So as though, yeah, as though it were to be played loads and loads and loads of times, which yeah. sort of the whole point of that is to take out the kind of the randomness mm. of a game where you could get battered for, nine, for 89 minutes and score a random goal. Yep, yep. It says, okay, if that scenario were to play out again 10,000 times, for example, how much, with a, a bit of maths in between, which I won't mm. bore the listeners with, how many points would this team be expected to to get if we do take out the randomness and you know look at it over a longer period? So within those simulations, there might be 20 times, say, where the team who was getting absolutely battered nick, nicked a last-minute goal and won. Um, but the other 9,980 times, the the dominant team would win. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Because there, there's always going to be a randomness to to everything. That there is a there's a chance that the other team will win. That's always the case. Otherwise, there would be no point playing the game. So, uh, yeah, I won't I won't go too much into the maths, but it's basically centered around that. That it just takes away that randomness, runs it. It's called a Monte Carlo simulation. What a great name for a simulation? Yeah, it's essentially a yeah, a mathematical method to to do that to, um, yeah, create more of a reliable and representative answer for who should have come out with a certain number of points in that game. Yeah, yeah. And as I said before, still give credit to a team if they did create any chances. Still give credit to that team to to give them, you know, some expected points mm-hmm. um, and not just okay that team had more, that team had less. So. Team A gets three points, Team B gets zero points. It creates a bit more of a representative idea. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, there'll be several people who, uh, as you sort of mentioned before, will say, well, that's the whole point of the game is that anyone can win. But it just sounds like a really good way of sort of measuring performance and uh, playing progress almost rather than just, uh, you know, signing value to to the out-and-out winner. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that I would say on that as well is that, and we've spoken about this before, is that game state does actually come into it. And this is where it's more reliable over a longer period. But game state is important in that you might be heavily outscored in terms of your XG, but you might have actually got a really lucky goal from a corner in the first two minutes. Okay. And you're, let's say you are Burnley against Manchester City. Yeah. You, you score in the first two minutes, then you've you know you're winning the game you need to then protect in that lead you need exactly you need to then protect that lead so manchester city might pepper the goal with shots they might all get saved but burnley come away with a one nil win now man city's xg will be heavily higher but 
again the context of that is that the game state was really important there that mm. Burnley didn't need to go and shoot anymore they just needed to defend it's important context exactly it's important context as we've said before context is key but there's certain caveats to it in that regard where you need to take that into account because if you looked at even xg which is a good, good representation of how a game might play out again yeah it, it you need that context that it might be that they're from a losing position or from a winning position as well. So that's an important caveat. But again, it's a good model overall over a longer period where maybe that's not always the case to balance it all out and see over the course of a season, should a team have, have got relegated, for example, that's that's a you know a key one as well as who uh, who maybe won the league as well or got into a European spot. So uh, yeah, it's a good it's a good method. Expected points, um, just a little flavour for you there, right? I really like it. I think you know it's as we say, it may be not ironclad in the sense that uh, you know football is a game where anything can happen, and that's the beauty of it. But I think it sounds like a really useful tool and measure of progress and and performance really even if if, absolutely not foolproof and I guess bringing it back to the Lampard example it's quite interesting to think that based on his actual points and the results they he got sacked from from Chelsea but you know if if they had had a look at his expected points and they were higher than maybe what they'd achieved uh, in real life maybe maybe that sort of is a gauge of well they've just been unlucky and things might level themselves out in the future and and the performances will come I don't know I mean you know look at Solskjaer Solskjaer they sort of stuck with him which none of us expected and uh, Sheffield United aside you know it's 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 proving okay whether you like Solskjaer or not you know the results have been not too bad and they're sort of up there well, it's it's funny that you should say that, and we haven't prepared this at all. But I've actually got the expected points league table in front of me. Oh yes, and that example that you use is a really interesting one because Chelsea, um, at time of recording, based on where they should be, they've uh, they're seventh. They've amassed thirty three points, um, but their expected points are thirty eight point one eight. Right. So they're five points worse off than maybe they should be based on their expected points. Okay. Now, if you look at Man United, where they are in the league, and as we said before, each team has played a different number of games, Mm. but we'll put that to one side because we can't help that COVID has got in the way. No. (laughs) But but Man United have 41 points, um, and their expected points are actually 35.64. I was wondering if they've been overperforming, as you were saying it. Exactly. So, And there's been commentary around it that they've almost reached the dizzy heights of the, you know, the top or the top two yeah and bottled it ever so slightly but they've they've actually got more points than they're expected to based on um yeah the the expected goals that they have scored and conceded yeah, so yeah. they're the two two stark ones actually of where they should be versus where they um where they are actually interesting and also interesting in the context of the two managers we just discussed um so have you got the two league tables in front of you then the the expected points league table against the the real league table yeah, do you want to have a little play around with any others? Go on then, let me have a guess at who's top. Um, I'm going to guess that Man City are top on expected points. Man City are top for expected points, correct. Excellent. Uh, I guess that was quite predictable, wasn't it? Um, okay, I'm going to have a stab at the bottom as well. Go on. Guessing from what we've said before, I'm going to say it's not Sheffield United, um, I don't think that they're bottom on expected points. So I'm going to have a stab at West Brom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well done. Yeah, Is it? Expe- yeah. I'm, I Expe- promise, points. listeners, I'm not looking at this table. Yeah, so West Brom, based on expected points, are at the bottom. I think the two, which I'll just kind of cut to the chase, the two who have been underperforming the most, who have been spoken about, are Sheffield United, as we've spoken about. If we were to use expected points 
Um, I, okay, this might not be a perfect model. We're using this from um, data from Understat and um, we are not saying that this is the, the best model to use, but it's just freely available and it's just useful to know. But yeah, Sh Sheffield United, based on their expected points, um, should have had 20, 20.11 points. Um, and they've actually you know, amassed eight uh, at the time of recording. So That's quite a difference, isn't it? Yeah, it, interestingly, it wouldn't be enough based on expected points. It wouldn't be enough to get them out of the relegation zone, but they would be like so, so close. And they'd be far yeah, more yeah. in the running to, um, to beat relegation than they, they definitely are now. Another one that's been spoken about quite a lot um, is Brighton. And they are fairly low down the table, but um, based on their expected points, should be um, a lot higher. So they've got uh, 18 points, um, but they should have 31.57. Um, so they should have a lot more. So again, they they should have 13.57 more points than they actually do. So And that's just based on the fact that they're you know not a bad team at all. They create good chances. They've got a nice style. Yeah, absolutely. And I really, I really like Brighton. I think that you know, Graham Potter's doing some great work there as well. But um, yeah, and it's one of those as well, which shows, as we've spoken about before, we spoke about small sample sizes. Over a longer period, you expect that luck to maybe return a little bit and it might be that they're going through... Even out. Exactly. They might be going through a, a bit of a rough period or whatever and it evens itself out across the season now the likes of Sheffield United are running out of time a little bit because they need to that luck to change and fast and it looks to be improving but uh yeah it's more reliable to look at over over a longer period but it just again gives that flavor that um a team where the where a team actually is versus where they should be can be quite different lovely stuff and is that expected points table available for us to stick in the bio and uh, and for the listeners to get hold of yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we can uh, we can do that. Stick it in the bio and uh, let the listeners have a little play around the table themselves. Fantastic. Well, that's another tool and way of looking at things that I didn't know about before. So, uh, so yeah, good stuff all around. There we go. Every day is a learning day, Ryan. Every day. And <laughs> also, we managed to say the word underlying numbers at least three times. So uh, everyone's happy. And, I'm happy. Uh, includes a good part one. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, that was expected points. I feel like I say this every week, Mark, but I enjoyed that. Did you? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad that you did enjoy it, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, no, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I guess it's it, it's important to say that it, this isn't anything that's necessarily new as a as a concept. The the idea of, of expected points, a bit like expected goals, has been around for quite a while. Um, so for, for some of the listeners, this might not be something which is completely brand new to them. To some who it is, then great. Um, but I guess it's just a timely... Um, sort of thing to discuss given you know what we were talking about with Frank Lampard at the moment but um, yeah hopefully all have been enlightened to some degree Ryan I think to some degree we all have and I tell you what is new <laughs> still new and shiny that's fan analytics mail that's uh, <laughs> that's still a relatively new thing and I'm delighted to say that we have a few more questions from our dear listeners who have uh, who've commented on uh, our Twitter and who've got in touch with us via email um, so Mark I've got a couple more questions that I can throw at you. And are they are they for me? Are they not for you, Ryan? Are you going to answer any of this I think time? we both know that if I attempt to answer <laughs> some of the questions in the same way, the Football Fanalytics podcast may lose some listeners. Uh, so I am here to smile and ask the questions. Um, the first of those questions is comes from... Uh, an account called I am Ali El Arabi, and I hope I've said that in some sort of correct way. Um, and they ask, how well is Odegaard going to fit in at Arsenal? And do you see him playing in the number 10 or on the right-hand side mostly? Ooh, good question. Very good question. I like that question. Um, well, without referring to my day job too yes. much, um, I did actually write a piece um, 
about Martin Odegaard um, for the Athletic. How very well timed. Yeah, with uh, with Dermot Corrigan, uh, who is the Spanish reporter. Uh, so together we did a, a good piece, and uh, yeah, we can include that in the bio, I suppose, as well, can't we? We absolutely will. So yeah, I guess to directly answer the question, um, yes, I do see him playing in the number ten position, but probably in the short term more so. Um, Emil Smith Rowe has played really well recently in the number ten position, yeah. but Arsenal tend to play at the moment a four-two-three-one um, system, um, where the that number ten is the sort of the middle of the three. But mm-hmm. my understanding and the understanding of the Athletic is that eventually um, Arsenal do want to start playing in a four-three-three system. Um, in which Odegaard will play more in the that number eight role and kind of the um, the to the right of the uh, the middle the midfield three. So um, yeah, in the short term, I do see him playing in the number ten role, but um, in the in the long term, whether or not he'll uh, stay at Arsenal, I imagine that he'd maybe shift more towards uh, the number eight role um, rather than actually coming off the right hand side, which is uh, what is suggested, is what I would say. Fantastic. Um, and I'm guessing then he's not unfamiliar playing that role. I'm not going to lie, I don't know an awful lot about uh, his time at Sociedad, but is that where he played for them? Yeah, he, he played, well, the, the system that Sociedad played in was a, a 4-2-3-1, but the more I've spoken to other people, went in attack, Sociedad have probably probably played more in a 4-3-3 sort of system anyway, and it just allowed um, Odegaard to, to roam a little bit. Like he's best yeah, just yeah. coming in slightly off the right, but playing, I guess, in that half space, as people say, but just... Um, being in a creative role, a bit like Ozil, where he's just got license to pick up these positions between the defence and the midfield and, and create as he did to, to great effect last season. So um, I think anyway, any good player, as, as Odegaard is, would be able to adapt anyway. So I guess, yeah, to answer the question, he could play in the number 10, but I think he's also capable of playing in a in an eight. I think we're all looking forward to seeing how uh, how that transfer turns out really aren't we so uh so yeah keep your eyes on for, open for that one um okay then lovely stuff mark i will ask you a second fanalytics mail question um this one is from <laughs> at sari ball now who knows if this is actually uh sari in disguise uh <laughs> but yes their question is of all the metrics that are being used how many are useful to the clubs how many are meant for fans and how many are just for Sam Allardyce? Now, what a very odd question. I don't know what that means. Um, maybe Sam Allardyce has his own book of uh, of metrics that he sort of refers to. Um, but maybe we focus on the first sort of two of those, you know, in terms of the differentiating between what's useful to a club and what's useful for fans and public Twitter, I guess is something we've touched on before, isn't it? Um, so how would you go about answering that, Mark? Yeah, I mean, with the Sam Allardyce thing, first of all, he, is, he was kind of known to use his own weird and quirky metrics and um kind of make these rules based on i think it was something where if if the team score first then your team will end up winning 70 percent of the time he did he still is quite known to to use the numbers uh, more than people give him credit for so maybe he's alluding yeah. to that i don't know but uh how many useful to clubs how many are meant for fans i think this is quite a tricky one really because i think despite a lot of football clubs using very complex analytics and and mathematics in some cases um some better than others i think there's still quite a lot of to you know quote unquote low hanging Mm. fruit by which you know if you can answer a question really simply then it might be deemed simple and all fans can understand it it doesn't have to be really complicated to be used within a club so i think nothing's off limits within a club of just how simple you can go down like think about let's say a 
a box-to-box midfielder, you can just look at how many touches they've got in the opposition box just to see how much they are actually getting into the box yeah, and, yeah. and kind of doing doing their work in, in that area as well as maybe in the defensive area as well. So I think there's there's some simple ways that you can look at it as well to, to kind of answer the question that it doesn't have to be um, really complex methods just to to make it worthy within a football club. Absolutely. And I guess the other side of that is the what's useful for fans is the kind of constant conversation that we have, isn't it, about about shoving statistics down fans' throats and, and what the demand is and the interest within statistics and analytics uh, is, which is obviously the ongoing conversation that we uh, keep having. So I guess that's kind of a bit subjective to whoever the fan is, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think that is a good point, yeah. And that's, I guess, our job on the podcast at the moment is to make sure that everyone is understanding the growing world of statistics and analytics in football. But yeah, it's it's difficult to say how many are for fans. Mm. But as we said, I think we said it last week, didn't we? Just for the main thing is when they are used, if it's through mainstream media or whatever it may be used through, um, that it's that it's made into football language and it's made simple so that everyone can understand it. And it's not there to put people off. It's there to enhance your your opinion or to yeah make you see the game in a slightly different way. So as long as it has that, again... That simplicity can also work within a professional football club. Absolutely. And I'll throw one more at you, Mark, to to finish off uh, a lovely episode. Um, We've got a question from Felix, who is a friend of the pod. Listeners will remember Felix, who we spoke to in episode 12 uh, about his model uh, called Impact Score. I'm fairly sure he's got several other ones these days that uh, you can go and explore if you you look him up. Um, But Felix has commented and he's asked, how can we do more to shift people's thinking around football from binary yes slash no to more probabilistic terms, talking percentage chances rather than just X will win? I just said the word probabilistic, which I quite enjoyed. Mark, tell me. (laughs) Poetically asked there, Ryan. Um, I mean, that was that was a mouthful as well to actually ask it. I, yeah, I guess to, to break this down, it's this is something which I think it's it's important within football. But I've I certainly found this in the previous roles that that I've worked at, um, in which people who maybe didn't have an appreciation of maybe statistics or research wanted to kind of know a black and white answer. You know, is it this or is it that? Yeah. And we want to know which one it is. And the answer is often not black and white. There's a gray area of like, well, if you think of it like this, it could be something. And if you think of it like that, it could be something. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's a tendency for people to want to look at things in that way. Um, and I'd, I'd probably answer it by saying that it's just, a, I guess, a culture that in order to think of things in a statistical way, we also need to bring the people with us. A bit like what we said before in terms mm. of the... Um, the fans so when he's saying about talking about percentage chances rather than just x will win yeah this isn't meant to offend people who maybe don't have that appreciation but I think even when you're using percentages does everyone know what you're referring to when you're maybe talking about percentages again you can simplify that with the with language to say you know if we are talking about goal scoring you know he he scores that goal three times in a hundred yeah yeah why do we have to say three percent it can just be just again talking about it in even more normal language not even football language just normal language he scores that three times out of 100 and that can maybe just help to get that buy-in from people to understand it so I think to answer his question in terms of shifting people's thinking I think it's the onus is on the person who understands it from more of a statistical perspective to make sure that you're just speaking that normal football language and it's been something which we've spoken about on Twitter hasn't it Ryan in, in recent weeks of 
being something of a translator it's not necessarily up to the person who's receiving the information to catch up with you it's for you to make sure that it's understandable to to everybody and be that translator to make sure that people have your way of thinking more so than having to know about the maths so it's just creating that culture of just making people think of things in that way but using it in just normal language so not percentages just say yeah the example of maybe three out of a hundred times you can never explain something too simply and can you exactly that yeah it's one of those isn't it as well where you you need to understand something really in depth to be able to explain it in the most simple way and that's a real skill so i think as much as anything the onus is on the people to explain these concepts as much as the people to understand it 100 percent love that are there any more questions for me ryan or do i get a bit of a, a day off now you have a rest mate you have a rest uh what we'll <laughs> do we'll round off the episode and uh, and i'll stick a shout out as we always do we do want to hear from uh listeners thank you so much yeah. to felix and everyone else who sent us in their questions just there we honestly we like hearing from you we like questions we like feedback we like all of the above uh, and it's just good to sort of have different ways of looking at things constantly and approach different topics from all different angles so yes thank you fan analytics mail will carry on i promise you that <laughs> i promise you that but for now we are going to say goodbye so as i mentioned you can get in touch with us and you could do that via twitter you can find us at fanalytics pod and we are also on instagram you can also email us we are on fanalytics.pod at gmail.com uh, we've got some exciting stuff coming up in the next few weeks hopefully uh, we'll look forward to sharing that with you all but for now have a lovely week and we will see you next time sports social podcast network